You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So, I don't know about you, but I, I remember my first car well. I think everyone remembers their first car. First cars today for teenagers is not the same as first cars when, we, when I was growing up. Uh, I, my, my buddies and I, I was thinking about this the other day, what kind of cars? So my one buddy had like a 1983 yellow Volvo. It was awesome. Um, I had one buddy, he had the best of us all. He had a, a, a Nissan Pulsar. They don't make that anymore, but it was a great car. I think could do 360s in many parking lots. Um, I had a buddy who had a Le Car. Remember the Le Car? Anyone remember the Le Car? We literally could pick that guy's car up and hide it. It weighed about 500 pounds. It was a little, you know, European car. He was Hungarian. I don't know if he was sticking with that theme in his life, but uh, it went about 50 miles an hour, to, uh, top speed. It was great. Um, I had a 1984 pickup truck, F-150. Um, it, it, so cars are a little bit different today. One of the things that's different is all those cars I mentioned that my buddies drove, they were all stick shift, right? Stick shift today is called a car alarm. Okay, because no one can drive it. You, just, you can unlock, leave your car unlocked if you have a stick and no one can drive it. They, they can't steal it. Um, I miss those days. Here's another thing that is different to new cars today and, and old. Is my dashboard on this 84 pickup, super simple. I had like speedometer, tachometer, a little temperature gauge, which as long as it stayed in the middle, you were good, I guess. This little thing, there was a, I never knew what this was until like college. So there was a D and a C, right? Which was, I found out was your battery. But, and it had a little line. I, it was always in the middle, so I figured that was good. Uh, but other than that, there was, it was just, there was nothing, no lights, no flashes, no anything. The new cars today, or first cars, it's all, it's like a cockpit. I mean, you got, okay, tire pressure is one, you know, one thing low, boop, light. Someone's in your blind spot, boop, light. It's too cold outside, put a jacket on, boop, light. <laughs> Kids movie over, is over in the back, boop, light. Right? You got a light for everything. You got to get the book out and say, what is this little thing? I don't, know what that look, I don't know what that is. But the worst of all the warning lights, the one that you all hate, is that check engine light, right? That check engine light comes on. But here's the reality check engine light comes on. At least 50% of you in this room ignore it. <laughs> you, you, you have this like hope that you're car has an immune system and it's just going to fix itself, right? It's like a, it's like a, so you just keep on driving, right? That's it, you know, it's not real. It's, it's, right? That's, that's, the, that's the way it works. Uh, but if you keep doing that, the reality is this. At some point, you're going to end up on the side of the road on I-16 somewhere in between Statesboro and Dublin. That's a bad place to be. <laughs> it's going to come back to get you, right? You keep ignoring it. Those, those, those warning lights. Samson is going to have several warning lights go off this morning. And what we're going to see is he is going to continually ignore them, just like some of you. And it's going to, in a couple of weeks, and Clint speaks about this in chapter 16 in two weeks, it's going to end, he's going to end up on the side of the road on I-16, blind, enslaved. It's going to cost him his life. And, and, and what I want to ask today and answer really as we think about this text is, are there, are there any of the warning lights that are going off in Samson's life, are they going off in your life? Are any of those things showing up and you are just like him ignoring? And so what we're going to do is we're going to work through this text and we'll highlight some of these warning signs and, and really ask honest questions. Am I ignoring the check engine to change the oil, the tire pressure, right? So that the goal is we can get that dealt with. 
all right, so that we can, so we can get help with whatever that is. And so we're going to be in Judges chapter 14, we're going to go all the way to 15 verse 9, and I'm just going to highlight three warning lights for us. And then you ask the question, am I ignoring this light, right? So here's, here's kind of where we've been. Just last week, we cracked the door on Samson. We saw he came from a godly family. He had a miraculous birth. He was set apart from the womb. He had this thing called a Nazarite vow, so he couldn't have any grape juice. He couldn't touch dead things, and he was supposed to let his hair grow, all right? So those were, those were kind of the rules of the Nazarite, and he's got everything going for him, but yet he is gonna end up broken. Let's look at verse one. Samson went down to Timnah, Right? And, and there's this idea there, you're going to see this in the, in the chapter, it's going to constantly come up. Him going down is a, uh, a wordplay. He's not only going down uh, geographically, he's going down in a way spiritually. He's spiraling out of control. And he went down to Timnah and saw one of the Philistines, the daughters of the Philistines, and he came and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now remember... Last week, so Israel has fallen into the hand of the Philistines, but here's the difference. This, like last time, usually when we see this sin cycle, there's sin, there's a get enslaved, and then there's this repentance or some kind of sorrow, and God raises up a savior. Not this time. There is no sorrow. That's because the, uh, the Philistines and the Israelites have just assimilated together. And so Samson, he goes down to Timnah. Three times it says Timnah, Timnah, Timnah. Now Timnah is close to his home. It's about four miles away. It's a local Philistine city. So think about rival high school down the road. He goes down there and he sees himself a little Philistine hottie. And he comes back to his, it doesn't even say that he talked to her. He just sees her. And he comes home and he says to his mama and his daddy, I found, me, I found the woman of my dreams, mama. And she's probably like, oh, that's so great. We've been waiting for grandkids. Where is she from? Is she, is she, is she a local gal? Yeah, she's local. She's four miles down. Oh, that's great. She from the tribe of Dan? Is she a Judite? What is she? She's a Philistine. And it must have been a dagger in his folks' heart. Because how is he going to fulfill this great ministry that God has called him to if he's going to disobey in this? But so his mother and father said, isn't, isn't there a woman among the daughters of your relatives? Someone who goes to your high school? Someone, one of our family members? Not just even, doesn't even have to be from Dan. It can be from Zebulun. It can be from Issachar. It can be from Jew, anywhere. Just... A Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine? Samson says, get her for me. Right, get her, daddy. She's right in my eyes. But there's that, that language we've been seeing. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone does what is right in what his own eyes. Even Samson, she looks good. Remember, he's gonna lose his eyes. Here's a guy who always is driven by his eyes. He's gonna lose his eyes eventually. But that, that's his heart. What he wants is what drives him. Here, here's the key. Here's kind of behind the picture what's going on. His father and mother didn't know it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. This may sound a little confusing on the surface. Like, what? You mean God wants him to marry this girl? No, that's, that's not what it's saying. God never wants us to sin. God never tempts us to sin. He never desires for us to sin. But that doesn't mean that he cannot use our sin to accomplish his purpose. Right? The idea is that God is going to use Samson's rebellion and he's going to still do what he wants to do, which is get rid of the Philistines or at least ultimately start delivering from the Philistines. Because Israel had become way too comfy with the Philistines. And so he's going to insert himself a little Samson to mix it up. In about a chapter, they're not going to like each other anymore. They're not going to be so assimilated. 
But this is this God does this. This is what happened with, remember, Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers and all these horrible things happen. And finally, when his brothers meet him again, he says, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. Right? This is what the heart of Romans 8.28 is, that God works all things together for good for those who love him. Right? It's not always pretty. Right? Really, if you think about it, the ultimate sin of the universe was Jesus of Nazareth being crucified the innocent son of God, the lamb of God, was crucified. That is, that was, it's, a, it's a wretched thing to, to kill the innocent son of God, but yet God has used that to deliver us. So this is what God is, is doing here. He's going to use his sin to, to accomplish his purpose. But in doing so, we've, we've, we've seen the first warning light come up. First warning light for Samson, which he is ignoring, is people. Specifically for him, his parents. God has given this guy godly parents to help him teach him. Uh, the light is going off. Samson, what are you thinking? Samson, I don't think you should do that. Samson, no. And he plows right through. And this, this is why we go back to the, we've called this series, remember, everyone needs a king. Samson is a prototype. He's supposed to be a picture of something to come. Remember, he's got, his birth was prophesied. He had a miraculous birth. His mama was too old to have kids. He, his name means sun-like. He's supposed to bring light. The spirit is on him. He's supposed to be a blessing. All those things. And yet he is blowing off his parents. There's another one who would come, whose birth was prophesied, whose mom had a miracle baby, who the spirit was on him, who was a blessing, who said he was the light of the world. But yet he did not blow off his parents. Remember that little text where, where Jesus gets left behind? He's, in the, he's at Sunday school. His parents forget about him because he's such a good kid and he never caused any problems, so they just leave. And then they realize, man, we left Jesus. We left the son of God. That's not a good thing. God can't be happy with us. We better get back. So they go back to Jerusalem and, and he says, didn't you know where I'd be? In my father's house? But says he was submissive to his mother and his father. He followed them. See, this is why everything in the Old Testament points to, we need a better Samson. We need a better David. We need a better Moses. We need a better Israel. We need a better everything. We need a savior. Everyone needs a king. And so where Samson fails, Jesus does not. But back to the idea here. One of God's main strategies to grow you this morning, to grow you spiritually, it's not me, it's us. As God uses people to grow, people to encourage, to warn, to help, to rebuke, to comfort, to keep accountable. And I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it again if you're pretty new. It is Christianity, the Christian life is not just you and your Charles Stanley King James study Bible and a couple sermons that you listen to on the road while you're on I-16. If that's the case, then there haven't been Christians for 1,800 years because really nobody had their own copy of the scripture until the last couple hundred years. It's not about you and your quiet time. That, yeah, that's great. That's part of it. But it's about the church. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Right? And then the fellowship is described as the breaking of bread and prayers. But two things, the teaching of the apostles and to the koinonia, the fellowship, the belonging, the community. You need it, you were created for of it. And this light is going off in some of your lives and you are blowing it off. You're blowing it off, right? And, and I, maybe that's because you, you, hopefully not, but maybe you're ignoring that light because you're a little bit like Samson and you're arrogant. And, and you're, you're, you're driven like Samson by what you want. And you do not want someone in your life telling you that's not a good direction. That, that this is not the area you maybe should go. You don't want that. So you ignore the light. 
right? You don't want someone telling you what college you're gonna go to. You don't want someone to tell you whether or not you should buy that house or not, you should take that job or not, you should date that person or not, how to spend your money, how to raise your kids. You don't need help in your marriage. You'll run your business the way you want. And, it, and you are putting yourself, you're ignoring a light and you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation where you're gonna find yourself on the side of I-16, right? And if, maybe you're like, well, I have people in my life. Do you have people in your life that will tell you not what you wanna hear, but what you need to hear? See, that's, there's a big difference because we can surround ourselves with yes men, right? We can always do that. If you think that you can move through this life independent of godly Spirit-filled people, you're headed for a, a breakdown on I-16. And here's where it's especially dangerous. If you are in this room and you got some, some pretty significant gifts, you have some resources, you, you, you got some financial stability, you got, you got some, some huspa there, right? Maybe you're from a privileged family, your family is wealthy. Uh, maybe you've, you've seen some success, Right? You're smart. All those things are a toxic combo because what you can start to believe is I don't need anybody, which is why Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to enter the eye of a needle because when you don't see your need, you're in trouble. Everyone needs people. It's a warning like God's given us. Let me talk, just briefly, let me talk to the students in the room. It means if you're like six years old up to 18, Right? And by the way, just let me encourage you, if you have a six-year-old, I'd encourage you to bring your six-year-old to church. I'm, I know you're like, well, he can't listen to a sermon. He can. My kids have been listening to me for years, and they, I mean, they zoom me out, but they're here. They're here. They can say, <laughs> you ought to get in the habit of worshiping with your kids. It's just the idea that we do, and this is not in my notes. I'm just bringing it up. The Spirit of God is on me right now. The idea for us is that you would come to worship as a family and then you would send your kids off in this other service to their class so they can go be with some peers and community and that you would serve somewhere. That's what we do. That's the idea. Right, so just let me get, some of you are like, oh, I didn't know that. You know it now. You're accountable. All right. But let me talk to the students. Okay. God has given you high school students, middle school students, you know, eighth-year-olds, parents as, as guardrails and I know you think sometimes they're trying to destroy your life and make you unpopular and miserable. That is not the case. They just know how hard the real world is and trying to get you ready for it. And so when you're lying and sneaking and cheating and being disrespectful, you're actually setting yourself up for destruction. You just are. This is why scripture teaches, Paul says, honor your father and mother, obey your parents, kids. Why? This is the first commandment with a promise. Because the idea is this, if you cannot learn this is an important 16-year-old girl to listen to me. If you cannot learn to put yourself under authority now at 16 years old, you're going to have a hard time in life because there's always going to be someone over you. It's going to be a, a professor, a boss, a somebody. There's always someone higher unless you're the son of God and you're not. There's always an authority and you have to put yourself under it. If you can't learn to put yourself under the most obvious authority God has placed in your life, you're gonna struggle throughout life. You're not gonna listen to a boss. You're not gonna listen to a cop. You're not gonna listen to a pastor. You're not gonna listen to a community group leader. You're not gonna listen to fill in the blank. And so it's a vital lesson that you realize, hey, I'm not saying your parents are perfect. They make lots of mistakes. That is the way, that way it is. But you can't ignore the warning light of your parents, guys. Let me encourage you. Don't do it. Parents, that means you have to be parents and not best buds. 
right? Some, some parents, and I don't, you know, I don't have anybody in mind, but I, there's a lot of them I see, they have, you're too scared of saying no to your kids, right? You're more worried about your kids' happiness than their heart, right? And I'm not saying we make our kids' lives miserable. That's not my point. But you, we, have a, we have a generation of kids that are coming out of high school that are so entitled and they've never done anything. And it's, it's your job to teach them and to train them, right? And they need to trust you to do that, right? So you have to be a kind of parent that has, has modeled for them that they can trust you, not, that you're not going to flip out when they do this. And, and here, another way is that, that why would they not trust you? Every time dad or mom has been in a circumstance where they had to choose me or themselves, they've always chosen me. They've laid down their life. They've laid down their benefits. They've done this for me. And so I can trust what they have to say. That's the kind of parent we are. That means you're also modeling what it means to worship, right? And, and again, this is important. We have some folks that show up once every four weeks, once every six weeks, and the kids see it. You're just setting your kids up to be lackadaisical to the things of God. You're, you're bolting as soon as the sermon's over. You're lip syncing during the songs. You're checking the, the scores during the whatever. And you're just, you're just teaching a lackadaisicalness towards the things of God. You have to be under authority if you're going to have your kids be under authority. So we have a lot of work to do there. Let me talk to the singles real quick. You've heard this before. You shouldn't date anyone that's not a follower of Jesus. Just the way it is. This text has nothing to do really with Samson. The, the, the marriage is not going to happen, as many of you know the story. But the, it's not about her necessarily being a Philistine that God is so against. Right? It's not a racial thing. It's a worshiper of God thing. That's why he uses the language, she's, it's the uncircumcised Philistine. She is a worshiper of Dagon. You are supposed to be a worshiper of Yahweh. How is this going to work in the house? It's not. Right? You are free singles, high schoolers, whatever, middle schoolers, if you're dating, you're crazy. Um, you are free singles to date anybody you want of the opposite sex in Christ. I have to say this both those things these days, but that's, that's in Christ of the opposite sex. You're free to date anybody you want, but they gotta be in Christ, right? You say, why? Because ultimately marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus and his church. And if, you, if one of those two members does not believe the gospel, it's good. marriage is hard enough. With two sinners who love Jesus, marriage is hard. Right? So take one that loves Jesus and one doesn't, and it makes it exponentially hard. And then when you have kids, what are you going to do? Are you going to take them to church or are you not going to take them to church? He went, I mean, you got all the, you're adding, you're adding just layers and layers of complexity here. This is why you only marry in Christ. Right? And if you can't only marry in Christ, then why get dating a non-believer? Missionary dating does not work most of the time. Right? It just doesn't. Right? But there, it is true that many of us are married in believers because we found a hot Christian girl. That is true. So ladies, it, you, there is hope. But it's not a, it's, this is not the goal, right? Um, just guard yourself. If you find a guy that's got anger issues like old Samson, I'd run. If he can't work on Monday after Georgia loses, if he can't, he can't wake up, you better run because there's gonna be a lot of losses in the future, so... It's not even football season and I'm on fire. <laughs> if he treats his mama like Samson treats his mama, you better run. Um, right? So you're looking for someone. They don't have to be, you know, 
Billy Graham at 23 years old, you're just looking for someone, male or female, that is teachable, that's following Jesus, right? Not perfect, but they are teachable. They listen, they're under authority. That's a big one, right? But God has given us each other the warning light of people. It's important. And y'all, our name, we are Community Bible Church, CBC. We're not BC. BC is a high school that thinks way too much of itself, all right? We are CBC. I'm, I'm on fire today. We are Community Bible Church. That's important. Because both the Bible and community are how God sanctifies us and sets us apart. And some of you are blowing this off. And if you are, here's the last group I talked to, that fringe kind of group. Like you've been coming for a while, you're intent, I'm gonna get plugged in, I'm gonna gonna start doing, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start. Right, when? When? You know know what I figured out on on my wife's car? She's got the little uh, oil change thing that comes up, the little wrench, it means oil change. I figured out how to turn it off. Because every time it comes on, my wife's like, you need to get the oil changed. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. Done. Right? Because I know how to change my own oil. I mean, I do. And I can tell if, you know, I think it's a racket anyway. But whatever. Um, I can tell if my oil is dirty or clean, so I can check it. But I I figured out how to turn it off so I don't see it. Some of y'all are doing that spiritually. You're kind of doing just enough. You're you're, kind of showing up once in a while. I go to church. But the New Testament never speaks of just kind of going to church, reading, you know, studying the notes and all that and listening to a sermon. That's not what the New Testament talks about. It's a group of people doing life together, one another, loving each other, doing all the one another's. That is the church. That's why we say go be the church. Don't attend church. And some of you are, you've, you've turned off the, the light, the warning light, right? You've turned it off. And you're missing out on what God can do. Is, is community hard sometimes? It is. Is it, is it messy? Yeah. You know what else is hard? Having to go get your oil changed. It's annoying sometimes. But you know what? It brings life to your car. And that's what this does. Sometimes sacrifice, sometimes giving of yourself, getting down in the dirt, messiness of lives is what we need. Because this is one of God's strategies for growing you. This is why membership matters to us as a church. This is why church membership, belonging, because what you're saying is I'm committing myself to this group of people, we're gonna run hard together. If, if you're just kind of fringing it, you're just consumering it, how do we know who to run with? And then when, you, when, when your life, when you're stuck on the side of I-16, who's there to help you? This is why we do start here. This is why we have one today. This is why we do membership and we enter into a commitment with these people that I'm gonna be involved in the Great Commission. I'm gonna give here. I'm gonna serve here. I'm gonna be faithful here until God takes me somewhere else, right? But some of you need to pay attention to this light. It is a huge light in our lives, the light of, warning light of people. Let's keep running because we got a lot of text. So Samson went down, again, still going down with his mother and father. Now this is where the story gets fun, y'all. This is what you saw in Sunday school. With his father and mother to Timnah. And they came into the vineyards of Timnah. Why is a guy who can't drink grape juice in the middle of a vineyard? Because he's a knucklehead. Because Samson likes to play with fire. And behold, a young lion comes towards him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces. As one tears a young goat. But he didn't tell his mother and father. So they're in this vineyard. They're obviously separated because his parents are not with him. A lion comes out and he tears it like one tears a goat, which lends me to think, is tearing a goat a thing in that day? I guess, I don't know. 
Let's go to the goat tearing party. I don't know. But he tears this lion and then he doesn't tell his mom. Why? Because he's broken his vow. He's touched something dead. Right? He, sh- he shouldn't even be there. But yet, here's what's going on. Right? And so he doesn't talk to anybody. Verse 7. He went down. He's still going down and he talked to the woman and she was right in his eyes. What should have happened is once he touched this dead body, he's, yes, he's broken his vow, but he can fix that. All he has to do is go to the tabernacle, it's in Shiloh, make an offering, cut his hair again and just start the deal over. It's the idea of like, I was wrong, I sinned and now I'm back. But Samson's like, I gotta go see old girl. I ain't, that's too much for me. He, no one knows anyway, it's no big deal. And so he goes because she's right in his eyes. Because he wants her. Continue. And some days later, he returned to take her. We don't know how long some days are. But long enough for he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there's a swarm of bees. I don't know all about bees and pollination and stuff. But I'm pretty sure it takes a while for, to make honey. Long enough for that nasty dead lion carcass to be just stank with maggots and just grossness. And yet, Samson walks by... He sees honey and he sticks his hand in there and he's all Winnie the Pooh walking down the road eating honey. Now, I'm not from West Virginia, so help me out here, all right? There's a roadkill on the side of the road and there's a candy bar in the middle. I'm not like, that looks good. Help me out, West Virginia. Is this something? Is this a thing? All right. So there's nothing in me that wants to touch that and especially to eat that. Again, he's broken his vow and not only that, he's given it to his parents and now they're defiled and they don't even know it, right? But this is kind of what sin does, right? Is there a way that we somehow uh, move into sin and think, I'll just take the sweetness out of it and I, I I can contain that. I'll, just, I'll take the sweet and I won't worry about the death and then I'll give it off to other people and it won't impact them. Can we do that? We absolutely can we do that, right? Again, in the vineyards, touching dead bodies, sticking your hand in carcasses, eating honey. And, and what we've seen is he is now blown by his second warning light that's going off in spades and flashing and that's his precepts, the precepts that God has given him. Right? Not only his vow, but just, just the, 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 the truth of what God has said for his people. I mean, it wasn't just a Nazarite couldn't touch a dead carcass like that. Any normal uh, Jew in that day, that would defile them. They would be contaminated. And, and I think that God sends the lion. It doesn't explicitly say that. But I think God sends the lion to him while he's in the vineyard as a warning. Like, what are you doing here, Samson? What are you doing? Right? And in this grace, he allows him to, the spirit comes on him and he tears it like a kid. Just, just to remind him, look, if you just would be separate unto me, if you, would, if you would just see yourself as mine and go back to that tabernacle and you deal with it, you could see your potential. You have a chance, Samson, to do what's right here, to turn around. But he keeps ignoring the light. He keeps ignoring the precepts that God has given him. And instead he's led by his passions and his lust. He knows what God says. He doesn't care. He ignores it. Here's, here's where I find us. I wonder how many of us have the warning light of God's precepts going off in your life right now and you are just blowing it off. 
you're ignoring it. You're, you, got, you have this little flirty, flirty deal with this person at the office who is not your spouse and it's just innocent. It's just casual. Just a touch of the hand here and there. A nice text. And that warning light is going off. Death, death, death. And you keep blowing it off. Or everybody, your friends, your parents, your community group is saying, he is not a good dude. She is not a good gal. You should not be dating them. You shouldn't be living together. Warning, warning, warning. And you're just blowing it off, right? You continually are cheating your way through high school or college, thinking like Samson that you can hide it. They won't know. You got this warning light, warning, warning. You're down at the mall, you're down at Forsyth and, and you know that second glance, that third glance, that fourth and fifth glance at that person that walked by is not healthy, but you do it anyway. Warning, warning. You're in debt up to your eyeballs and you're still searching for a new car. You're still maxing out a new credit card. You're still doing this loan. Warning, warning. You got an issue with your mouth, still lying gossiping, destroying all these relationships at the work, at office, at, and, and this community group, wherever you're at, slandering, right? Warning. You work overtime every week and your kids miss you and you're thinking, well, just a few more months of overtime and, and you think the kids will be fine, they'll be good because I'm working for them and it's warning, warning, warning. You had that that thing that just helped you get to sleep and it was just a little comforting and I just needed it to get through the night and now it's become an addiction and you just like, it's out of control and the warning light is going off, right? God's precepts are his warning to us. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have hid in my heart so I might not sin against you. The, the psalmist says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a guide. The precepts of God are a guide. In fact, if you read Proverbs 8, I don't have it on a slide, but it's, it's funny. Can I put my glasses on for this one, y'all? Sorry, they're crooked too because I sat on them. All right. Proverbs 8, go read it later. It, it says, it personifies wisdom. Doesn't wisdom call? Doesn't understanding raise her voice on the heights? And it's crying out to you, O men, I call. Simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. And, it, and the whole thing is just talking about how God is like, listen, 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 my precepts. Listen, 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 listen. It's calling out. Don't ignore, if the warning light is going off of people and of, of God's precepts, don't ignore it. Stop. Right? Because this may be the only tweetable thing I say today, but you cannot reject the truth of God and the people of God and think that you will have success. You can't. It's just like ignoring the check oil light. Eventually it's gonna come and there's gonna be devastation. God has given in his grace Samson both. He's given us both. And you know, I don't want you to end up on the side of I-16 spiritually. I mean, we'll be there and we'll comfort you and we'll counsel you, but it's much better to get you before you get on 5, 16, and 16 than when you're halfway up the road to deal with it now, right? As things are starting to spiral for Samson, right? And so let's see how this text ends. Verse 10, his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast. It's a mitzvah. It's literally a kegger is what it is. It's a big party that the Philistines were known for. It's a seven-day feast 
Again, Nazarite vow out the window, for that's what the young man used to do. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Funny how Samson doesn't have any friends. So they got to bring him in some Philistine friends, right? This is the loner that he is. And Samson said to them, okay, now the, the Philistine Pinot Grigio has been flowing for a little bit. So everyone's feeling super confident. And Samson says, let me put a riddle to you. He goes old Gollum and Bilbo Baggins, right? For those nerds like me that love Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. And, and they're going to have a little riddle feast. He says, if you can tell me what my riddle is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 change of clothes. That's big bucks. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then, then you shall give me 30 linen gardens and 30 changes of clothes. And they said, that's a great idea. Let's do that, right? So here's his, his riddle. He's like a warrior poet, right? He said, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now we know what that is, right? We got inside information, uh, but they have no clue. And there's no way they would ever know. There's, there's no way they could ever figure that out. And in three days, they still couldn't solve the riddle. On the fourth, they said to his wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is. And they threatened her, lest we're gonna, we're gonna burn you. We're gonna burn you and your father. The whole family is gone if you don't tell us the riddle. Have you invited him here to impoverish us? You bring down this, this Israelite and now he's gonna, make, he's gonna break us? Find out or you're dead. So she starts crying. The party is, she's crying the whole time. Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me, you do not love me. You put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. He said, I haven't even told my parents. I'm gonna tell you. And she wept before, for him the seven days that their feast lasted. The idea is the rest of the time, not for seven days because they didn't ask her till the third day. But she cries for the rest of the feast, makes it miserable. And because she pressed him hard, then she told, he, she told the riddle to her people. So, so he they know it. They've pressed her and they come to him and say on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? And in his romantic self, Samson says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found my riddle. Let me help you guys a little bit with that one. <laughs> Call your wife a heifer. <laughs> yeah, that's, he's, he's a romantic guy. Um, but you see, he's all mad because they cheated. They kept, didn't keep the rules. You broke the rules. How blind is he to the fact that he ain't kept the rules either? He's cheated, right? That, that's, you see this guy that's so self-focused. He, he's accusing him of doing the very thing that, that he did, right? Um, and, and so you get, this is what you get when you marry Philistines, and so the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. He goes down to Ashkelon. He struck down 30 men of the town. He takes their spoil, give the garments to those who had told the riddle. And in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And his wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. And that day, the, the marriage wasn't finalized until it was consummated. So they had that seven-day feast. And at the end of the feast, you would consummate the marriage. Then you're in. He left early, so the best man marries the girl. And he's all mad pouting at home after he went down and killed 30 guys and took their clothes. Nice guy, right? And after some days, at the time of the wheat's harvest, Simpson's cooled down now, he went to visit his wife with a young goat, which I guess is like they're gonna have a goat tearing thing. I don't know, they're, uh, whatever. But he's gonna bring her a goat. Maybe it's like roses in that day. And he said, I will go into my wife into the chamber. He's like, I'm gonna consummate the marriage. But his father would not allow him to go in and the, her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion, your best man. Right? Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? 
Real nice dad. She's the ugly one anyway. Here's the, the pretty one's the younger one. Marry her. Take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines. Which shows that he realized he wasn't before. He knows he's not. He said, when I do harm to them. So Samson went, caught 300 foxes or, or potentially a jackals. We don't know, some kind of dog, wild dog. Which in itself is pretty impressive. You can catch 300 wild animals. Uh, he ties these bad boys together. Takes torches, turns them tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tail. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go in the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. They devastate the entire just ecosystem. All the orchards just on fire. All the grain that was in barns and just everything. Their, their economy is smashed. Right? And they can't go down to the Walmart and buy more. Right? And so he has devastated them. And then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. This is what you get when you marry the Philistines. They kill everybody in the family. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I'll quit. It's just this going back and forth, isn't it? You did this, I did this. You did this, I did this. You did this, I did this. And he struck them hip and thigh. He goes all MMA on them or something. He just takes them all on. And he strikes them with his great blow. And he goes down and stays in the cleft of the rock of Edom. He has to go hide, right? Because he devastates them so badly. And now they're after him, right? And, and this, this is the third sign, the third uh, warning light that, that Samson is blowing off. And it's a hard one, y'all. It's the warning light of pain, right? Now, I'm not saying, not all, all pain is not part of, of what God is necessarily trying to teach or whatever. I'm not saying all, it's all a response to what you have done. Sometimes we just live in a fallen world and that's just the way it is. But sometimes there is pain because of actions we have done or actions other people have done. Think about all the pain in Samson's life right now. He is unfulfilled. He is mad. He is empty. He didn't get married after all. He is having to hide. He's broken his vow. He has no relationship with God right now. He's got no relationship with his parents. There's just emptiness all over. Think about the pain he has caused in others' lives. His parents are devastated. They had all this hope for him and he has rejected them. There's 30 dead guys, 30 naked dead guys down in one town. There's a bunch of others over here Simba is dead now, right? There's a bunch of foxes that have burnt off tails running around now. You have this, this white, this, this girl and her dad and the whole family has been killed. There's just pain everywhere. And he's just blowing it off, right? And sometimes, this is a hard, hard truth, but it's a necessary one. Our pain, when we're able to look around and identify, I, I caused this. It's, it's God's grace to us to stop. It's, it's God saying it's not too late for you to turn around and head back to Shiloh. It's not too late. I mean, it's God, God's grace that he never married this Philistine woman in the first place. He protected him for that. But I think it's good for us to ask hard questions when we see things that, that are going on that, that's a struggle. To ask the question about your marriage. If there's been conflict and, and I, know you're, I know the other person has their deal. But what have I brought to this and what do I need to turn from? The way I talk to my spouse. The way I neglect my spouse. The way I haven't prayed for my spouse. Right? The way I haven't been forgiving and generous. I'm kind to everybody at the office but I'm not kind with my spouse. 
Right? That it, it's not too late is the point. With your kids, it's, if they're in the home, it's not too late. If they're even outside the home, it's not too late. You were a bad dad, you were a bad mom, great. It's not too late to go back and own that and say, I want to be different because I'm different. For, for teenagers, when your relationship, you're estranged with your parents or you're off at college or maybe you haven't talked to your parents from college, it's not too late to go back to that family member that you haven't talked to since Thanksgiving of 08. You got lies covering up lies, covering up lies. It's not too late to stop and uncover the truth. And even though there'll be some pain to see some restoration, you're, not, you're in that addiction and you're getting deeper and deeper. It's not too late to say, stop hiding it and say, I need help. Can someone help? Right? You're struggling with anxiety or depression and you're not telling anybody and you're just inwardly just, just rotting. It's not too late to say, I need help. To turn back, right? That's what repentance is. It's turning. And when we do, we find a God who restores. It's interesting. I, I was just coming across through, through the book of Joel this week. And there's, Joel's got all these locusts. And there's all these different type of locusts that came in that God would send to just devastate people because they were, they were rebellious. But he says this, this great little passage where he talks about the swarming locust did destroyed and the hopping locust and the destroyer and the cutter. They all devastated the land. But he said, but I will restore your land when you repent. That's what God does. When we turn, we're like, whoa, where am I going? I'm, I'm, I'm headed down. When you pay attention to the warning light that comes on of God's people and the precepts and even the pain, and you say, whoa, I'm going back to Shiloh where the tabernacle is. I'm going back to, to Jesus. And you have a savior who died on a cross for you so that you could be restored. Right? Not so that you could run to sin, so that you could run to him. That's what God does. And if you're here this morning and you've been running and you got warning lights and spades, it's not too late. And if you, look, if you need some pastoral care, we got some pastors on staff. We have men and, and women who can come alongside and care for you. We have a team in the hall after the service. If you just need someone to pray for you, we'd love to do that. Right? But just it's, don't ignore any lights that are going off. Like it's, a, it's a hard passage. It's a hard one. But I think it's necessary for us to just check. Let's see if the check engine light's on. And if it is, hey, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it together. It's okay. There's probably a thousand check engine lights in our lives. It's okay. Right? That's why we have each other. That's why we have a savior. That's why we have the spirit of God in us. But it's not okay to ignore it. It's not okay to blow it off. Right? So let's, let's worship together. Let's pray. Let's God search in the hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do. And we will together move forward. Why don't you stand? Let me pray. Father, I ask you just move now in this time. It's just a couple songs to respond. That your spirit would move and draw and help. That if someone in the room has lights going off, that they would turn. That they would not ignore it like Samson. Um, and your grace, you, you've given us these warning lights and so just let us respond to them. Uh, if someone uh, just needs to cry out to you, Lord, give them the, the, the courage to do so and to not continue to hide like Samson. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.